I'm all out of banter. I'm so lost without you. Six. I'm CJ Schrader, and with me, as always, my two, I got nothing, co-hosts, regular, my co- regular co-hosts, Jess Dunks. Hey, this is Jess. And Brian Perlman. I've eaten my fiber. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's cool. nice. Good to All know. right, let's start over. I'm, I'm old, okay. that's a joke. <laughs> right. Um, we have a very special guest on today. When, hey, CJ. Hey. When is a guest not a guest? When she's a jar? Hey! It doesn't make any sense. I know. I, 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 I don't follow either. Well, it, it's, a, it's a dad joke. <laughs> it is. A, when is when is a door not a door? When it's a jar. When it's a jar. Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> All right. We have a very special guest, Kim Warren on. Hey, Kim. Hi. Hey, Kim is a level four from what? United Kingdom? Yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm currently based in London. Yeah. Um, so, so what's the difference between England and the UK? Oh, boy. What? There are many excellent videos podcast. on YouTube to explain this. Remember yes. when I was talking about tangents right before the show? Oh, sorry. That would be yeah, one that's, of them. That's a huge tangent. And, uh, and to adequately, adequately explain that to most Americans might take longer than we have time for. <laughs> Join us on HistoryCast, episode one. <laughs> a, re- a, reasonable su- a reasonable summary is that Scotland didn't leave the UK, but was never part of England. All right. Okay. Oh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Kim, let's talk about you for a second. You're a level four judge. You're one of, how many level fours are there these days? I think that there are eight these days. Yeah. Um, so how long, how long have you been a level four judge? I've been a level four judge, uh, just under a year. I was promoted in January, GP Prague. How, far, okay. how long have you been a judge? Um, I've been a judge just over five years. I think I have my five-year anniversary in August or something like that. Your five-year anniversary is in August and you're level four? Uh, yep. Yep, that happened. So that's approximately <laughs> a level a year? Um, I, I, I spent like two years as a level one and then made up for it by not spending a year as a level two. Wow. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Because I'm eyeballing my five-year next year and I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> Can't compare to Kim C- Warren. CJ, CJ, <laughs> CJ. That, that um, might almost mean like you do something else with your life occasionally. No, Craziness. So really. bef- before you were L four, you had another role in the program. Uh, what was that? What was that role? Um, I was regional coordinator of the United Kingdom, Ireland, and South Africa before I became level four. Wait, 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 wait. South Africa. Yep. Yep. And South Africa. How okay? Um, is that just because like they needed to put South Africa somewhere? Like I'm not trying they, to diminish it, but I mean, it's like there aren't that many judges there or something. Like what? They they needed to put South Africa somewhere. We happen to share a language and also share a time zone. Um, and I believe okay, that actually makes sense. Up, I believe at the point they divided up the regions, like the head of the UK office was South African or something. So oh hmm. okay. Hmm. So, Interesting. So, so how did you that just as an aside, like when they contacted you with problems and stuff like that, uh, what were some of the the challenges as opposed to a problem? You know, if uh, you were contacted about a shop in, uh, you know, one of the one of the suburbs of London, like was um, it was it so much harder? Yeah, I mean, the main challenges are obviously the South African community is really really remote to everything. Um, which means that they're a bit insular and occasionally have strange ideas about things. But I actually have, a, well, we have an excellent level three there, Savas Themistoculus, 
I've probably horrifically mispronounced his surname. It's all right. Um, who's been doing a lot of work in the last couple of years to build a proper judge community in South Africa. They just got their second level three this year. Um, so things are starting to really get to the point that we can kind of leave Adam and, uh, and Savas to look after the South African community most of the time. That's pretty sweet. Cool. Uh, so I, I, have, I have another question with regard to uh, with regard to level four. So each each level four uh, has at least one kind of sphere of influence or, or domain uh, uh, that you are the undisputed lord of. <laughs> uh, uh, what domain or domains are yours? So my uh, the the thing I've been doing for for longest is um, regular rail policy. I've been in charge of that. I started I took over that when I was a level three, and I've been running that for a couple of years. Um, I've also recently taken a, a big role in the exemplar program. I'm trying to get that off the ground. So those are kind of the things I'm dealing with. Huh. Awesome. Hey, so regular policy. Huh? Yeah, it's like we should probably talk about that one. Huh. Huh. Maybe, maybe. So, uh, how do you how do you feel about talking about the jar, Kim? I would love to talk about the jar. Talk, right. Talking about the jar is awesome. <laughs> what is regular REO? What does that mean? So a lot of times um, on the show we we focus on competitive REO, maybe too much. So regular REL is obviously far more important than competitive REL because a much greater number of regular REL events are run. Yeah. Um, it's basically... Like, uh, the I was going to say, like, immensely greater. Like, it's not a small number greater. Yeah, I mean, basically, um, unless otherwise specified, all of your in-store events are going to be regular REL. Friday Night Magic, pre-releases, launch parties, these all are. But even like if your store happens to sanction like modern on a Wednesday night, chances are that's going to be regular rel as well. Cool. So uh, philosophically, okay. So we have we have these different uh, rules enforcement levels. Regular regular is one of them. Uh, uh, competitive is one of them. Professional is one of them. What is like? Why is regular different? Like we're, we'll talk about what it is in a in a in a bit, but but fundamentally, why is it different than competitive, or why does it exist um, apart from competitive? So the the really big thing about regular rel is that the major focus of regular rel events is on um, just on playing magic, on having fun, and on on educating players how to play magic in general. So we take a much uh, we take a much more um, educative approach to fixing errors rather than a, a punitive approach rather than having a system of penalties that can accumulate so that's the that's the major difference yeah so so the folk the focus is on is is on fun right it's fun that's, and that's, education yep that's the main uh, that's the main push people are meant to be able to go to their regular relevance relax and just play magic so so regular regular is you know the the stepping stone almost between between uh the kitchen table and competitive magic uh, uh, if it, if it needs to be, but it can do, it's a social, it's a social thing. Uh, go out, have fun, play, and you don't have to, you don't have to stress and worry because there is, there is some, some stigmas, uh, related to receiving warnings and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and being harshly, harshly penalized for mistakes. Uh, so. Yeah, so so regular rel, it's I mean for a lot of people it's it's not even a stepping stone. A, a lot of people will play at regular rel and will never really go to a competitive rel event. Um, but yeah, I mean the idea is that it can function as kind of your gateway drug to magic. <laughs> Start playing at F and M's until it's just not enough for you and you need something more, something harder. <laughs> that's 
That's an interesting analogy. I like it a lot. <laughs> so if you're a judge at regular REO, you're going to be using the judging at regular document uh, easily enough. It's a shocker. Um, at competitive and professional, we use the infraction procedure guide. So this episode is going to be about the judging at regular document, what the philosophy of it is, how to handle uh, common issues, all those kinds of fun things. So we already talked a little bit about what regular REL is. Um, I think an important point to make is that when you are judging regular REL, you, it is not competitive, which seems obvious, but do not apply the infraction procedure guide to regular REL. Do not, you know, it, it's a little tough not to say don't apply the philosophies from the IPG at regular, but a lot of the philosophies in the IPG do not apply at regular. Some might. Yeah. It's, I have a question before we get to talking too much about the, the, the jar itself. And that is, um, why why does it need its own document? Uh, some of our listeners may know that, that regular RL used to be included in the IPG. Why was that ever broken out into its own document? So as regular RL, as, as Magic has like massively grown and we've got a lot more stores now, we have a lot, of, uh, a lot of events taking place in stores that maybe don't have a regular judge, certainly don't have a, a regular judge with a lot of experience at competitive relevance. And frankly, the infraction procedure guide is an incredibly intimidating document. I mean, it's what? 30, 40 pages long? Something um, like that, yes. Going into immense detail on all kinds of things. And it was just people people who were not particularly invested in judging, maybe people who aren't even certified judges, weren't reading it because it's just this massive edifice. Um, so the idea of breaking regular rel out into its own document was that we could make something that we could keep short and accessible and just give some basic guidelines on how to deal with the most common issues that come up in your event to try and make it better for the players that to be able to give people a better experience with things being fixed in a slightly more consistent way. The, uh, we work really hard to keep the document two pages with the rough idea that if it's two pages, you can just like print it out on a single sheet of paper and maybe persuade store employees who are not really judges to, to read it. Yeah, I think I think another another reason why it was was broken out at the time was like like Kim was saying, a vast majority of events are run at regular uh, so much more that it, it dwarfs competitive. Uh, I know that's kind of hard to think when you have like all this New Jersey coverage, GP New Jersey coverage, where they have, you know, over 4000 players and that's all you hear about. But so much more um, that it was really kind of they wanted to like refocus L1 on regular uh, and that they, they broke this out roughly the same time as they did the, the L1 redefinition. Uh, so they, so they pulled it out and they made it its own, its own separate thing uh, uh, to give it the focus that it needed since they realized that the majority of L1s were judging uh, at regular. So it deserved its own, its own thing. I mean, it's, it's funny you should mention New Jersey because yes, obviously the Grand Prix is run a competitive rail, but mm -hmm. A very large number of those players played in regular REL events, even on that weekend. All the side drafts at a Grand Prix, all of the uh, pickup events, those are regular REL. Right. Sorry, I was I was being more Grand Prix. Like it got all the hype, all the coverage was competitive. You know, the deck techs and stuff like that. Oh, oh, definitely. Uh, I was yeah. I was just taking the opportunity yeah. to spin another regular REL. Oh, events okay. Everywhere. All right, they are. All right. <laughs> they and, the, and one of the things they 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 uh, some tos put out. They put out uh you know like the number of players at at you know, in the main event, but they'll also publish the number of unique DCI numbers. Uh, uh, and a lot of times there's like another 20% of players who come to the GP 
that don't play in the main and play in sides or pick up events or on demand events or whatever. So it's 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 a huge number. Okay. All right. Back to the jar. <laughs> yep. So so oh gone. No, you go ahead, man. You got All right. So so at the at the beginning of the at the beginning of the jar doc, uh, there is the kind of the the overview, the philosophy description before you start get, talking about the common issues and stuff like that. Um, one of the one of the things that they they drill into that we talked about is that they want to we want you to fix the situation as fairly as possible, educate the players, let them know that you're there to help. Um, but one of the things that it, it also goes into talking about is you have the ability to craft the environment, uh, uh, your FNM. Uh, specifically, uh, the example in the jar is if you see a player miss a trigger, um, you can you get to decide whether you step in uh, and, and say, no, 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 that trigger needs to apply or that you don't. So you you have a little bit of 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 leeway in in kind of crafting uh, your environment, whether you want it to be more casual or you want it to be a little bit more competitive with a lowercase c. Uh, so there is going to be some when we're discussing these things, there is a little bit of wiggle room uh, so that you can tailor your uh, your events to your players. Well, how does that fit in with the the, the stated goal of of um... More consistency at regular RAL events. I was very careful when I said that to say a little bit more consistency. Okay, no, that's fair. Um, that's, that's actually a totally reasonable answer. I just wanted to know. Yeah, the, the main thing is, like, we don't want someone to, to go to an FNM in, like, one shop and make a mistake with their deck and be allowed to, like, add the card and to go in another shop and be given a game loss, for example. That's what I mean by right. trying to scale consistency a bit. Yeah, that's that sounds totally correct. We wouldn't want that at all. That would be a pretty horrific experience. And, and that would that kind of thing was actually happening before, also. So oh, definitely. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's one of the reasons that this document is needed. Yeah. And uh, let's see here. One of the one of the things in the in the header or in the in, before we start talking about the common issues is uh, it talks about uh, since educating a player is a priority. Uh, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to beat them over the head with the rules and you don't want to be like, oh, well, that's, you know, that right there, that's a game loss at competitive. So you're going to get a game loss here uh, as a as a general rule. Game losses I'll be clear about this and this will probably be repeated a few times. You normally don't give game losses at regular. If your first inclination is this is a game loss, you're probably wrong. Uh uh, you only you only result in that after you've had multiple instances like, you know, please remember to do this. No, 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 I mean it. Please remember to do this. No, no, no. Okay, that's it. Do it. Do it correctly. The next time you're gonna get a game loss, and that's because you know you've been you've been giving them the prompts and they haven't haven't taken it. So you, you need to start kind of ratchet it up a little bit, give it a little bit of teeth to help them remember. Yeah, I, I spend quite a lot of time on Twitter, it seems, uh, asking people not to give game losses for various things at regular row. This is a very common misconception that still abounds, so... Well, yeah. I think it abounds from people not reading the jar, to be 100% honest. I, I think they at, go... At least one of the people I was talking to didn't know the jar existed yeah. and transpired. So. Yeah. Well, a lot, a lot of... You know, there's there's still people out there that believe uh, tapped blockers deal no damage, <laughs> deal com no combat damage. So there there was a period of time way back four or five years ago where I believe that there were some situations that got you game losses at, at, at regular. 
those don't exist. Those don't exist anymore. And so people are either remembering that or they're looking at the IPG and going, oh, well, when I was playing in a GP, I got a game loss for this. So obviously I get a game loss for this here as well. And at regular, because the focus is is more on on fun and education and the prizes aren't as high. Uh, that's that's another difference between competitive and, and regular is typically the prizes are, are more subdued than your PTQs and your GPs and stuff like that. So the incentive uh, to cheat isn't as there as much. So the 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 penalty structure that's in place at competitive to kind of help keep that in in check uh, doesn't need to exist. I mean, this is this is actually the, one of the biggest problems that comes up with uh, with regular relevance is storekeepers who are really motivated and trying to uh, trying to sort of build and encourage their local community will often kind of look at their FNM and look at the I don't know the from the vaults they have and go, wouldn't it be cool if I gave this as a prize on my FNM? And you know, it's it's kind of to to reward the community a bit to encourage them. The motivations are all really good, but it makes that FNM a completely different environment when you put a large valuable prize that people want on it and every single time i hear about this happening it's because of the scorekeeper or because of a, uh, the storekeeper or because of like a player or something saying man this happened and people started acting really really spiky <laughs> right right and some of these uh some of these side events at larger events where they'll offer you know like first prize gets uh uh like i, th- I think it was a, i was at one event where like and for a regular event, the first prize was a mox. That's a pretty frequent problem at, at, at Grand Prix events. Um, Chrome mox? No. Oh. <laughs> mox pearl. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But yeah. uh, but the majority of regular RL events do happen in stores, and it's the stores where where um, where the, the, the jar is most like needed, right. honestly. Because you know, um, on the floor of a Grand Prix, even for the side events, you've got a lot of experienced judges around able to handle situations. Um, and that's not necessarily true at your local store. Right. Pe- people respond to incentives, and if you put a really big prize in front of them, uh, they're going to respond to that. Uh, so if the prize if the prize structure is lower, there is less incentive to do things dishonest. Um, also, and I'm, I'm going to say that that kind of fits in with uh, judges can play in regular events, uh, whereas they used to not be able to, and they can't do that at competitive. Um, and one of one of the one of the reasons for that, or at least I believe. Kim, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. Is because the price structure isn't isn't really that uh, uh, you know significant. There's really there shouldn't be any incentive to create a conflict of interest. Uh, you know, obviously, if the prizes are a lot and a judge is playing in the event, then there is a conflict of interest because the prize is significant. Yeah. Uh, but if it's just, if it's like four packs, what judge is going to risk his reputation if he's so inclined to to do something? I mean, also, also, you get to uh, you get a better rapport with the players if you're if you're being able to sort of go, hey, look, you know, I, I play this game too. I understand what is involved as a player. You can you can build up a sort of relationship with them that you can't in the same way if you were just standing looking over them. Yeah. Also, also I, you probably have I, a harder you, time. Getting do you really games. do you really feel that's true that the judge has more of a rapport? Um, in the capacity as a player than they would as just a judge. I, I'm not saying that um, you, sh- you, I don't think there's anything wrong with playing in the event just to be clear, but I'm just, you know, I'm not sure that that's, 
that players feel so, I mean, as a player. I don't think I don't know the players feel better about that. I mean, I, I can only go down for my personal experience, um, which is that uh, play, players players tend to often feel that judges are a little bit divorced from playing, especially when you're. It, this is more obvious at higher level events, but even even at regular rail players will often feel that judges are a bit divorced from playing and don't understand what it means to, to play the event, especially if you ask someone to play faster at some point, for example. Right. They tend to just dismiss the judges not understanding. If you can, uh, if you if, if you have the opportunity to show the players that actually, you know, you also play this game, you do understand what's going on, then that can that can give them a little bit more respect that you do know what you're talking about. And being able to play at the same time as judging at regular rel gives you quite a convenient platform to be able to do this. In competitive rel, obviously, you need to make a decision whether you're playing or judging an event. Also, I think probably if we told judges that they weren't able to play at FNM, we would find ourselves with a lot fewer judges at FNMs. Oh yeah, no, no one would ever get me to judge a pre-release by itself. I am not missing a pre-release. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, we should move into the common issues. And we're good. Yeah. So these are the. Uh, this is a list of the um, the things that you might see go wrong at an event, and uh, basically, how do you fix them? So we, we started, um, we touched on this just a little bit, but what if somebody misses a trigger? What if? Well, if. So, yeah. So missing triggers, obviously, really, really easy to do. They're invisible. They're just like, they're written on a card in the middle of a wall of text. And it's really easy, especially if you have multiples, to just kind of forget everything that's going to happen. Um, as such, you know, a lot of the time, the, the advantage that one can gain from missing a trigger is really minimal. And it's really, really easy to fix. Um, and basically, we, we allow the judge to decide whether it's appropriate to fix it or not, depending on when the uh, when the players have been called. Uh, when the players have been called? When the players have called a judge. <laughs> yeah, players, so, players, I needed some players over here. So, so one of the one of the things that that is the same at at competitive and and regular, the opponent is still not required to say anything if the other player is missing his triggers. Uh, that that used to not be the case. You yeah, it was required. really awkward, but that wasn't the case. It was really awkward, yeah, but it now it's the, it now it's the same. You, the opponent, have zero responsibility to say anything. Uh, I I say zero responsibility. However, yeah. given the the fun obligation of of F and M, be a good guy or a good person or whatever, you know. But you don't you don't have to. You're not cheating. Right. Is, is one of the key yeah, we, things. We, we desperately wanted to avoid creating such a large disconnect between competitive and regular on this issue that something that was legal behavior at competitive would be a disqualification at regular. Yeah. Uh, that seemed that seemed pretty bad, um, which In is fact, why we I, decided to incorporate. Unfortunately, I, I had actually seen that occur where someone got disqualified at regular REL for something they wouldn't have been disqualified for at competitive REL. Yeah. And I'm glad that change was made. But uh, but yeah, we we'd still as 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 Brian was saying, we'd still really really prefer players to point out the uh, the opponent's triggers um, for the sake of a, a better game experience for everyone. Obviously, realizing you've lost the game because you you missed a trigger at one point is is pretty horrific. Um, but we're not going to force you to do so. Yeah. All right. So that seems that seems pretty pretty common sense. Yeah. So driven. Let me uh, did we that talk real quick. did we talk about maze? Yeah, let me summarize that real quick. Because okay. uh, so if you're the judge and a player calls you over and says, "Hey, I missed my trigger," 
Um, if, if it's a may trigger, we'll generally always consider those missed. Uh, obviously, this is the jar, and, you know, I, if the opponent's just like, hey, give them that, or whatever, you know, whatever. Uh, as long as the players are happy, that's fine. But in general, we'll say may triggers are always missed. Um, and then beyond that, if the, uh, if the player missed the trigger, we decide, uh, would it be too disruptive to put it on the stack and resolve it? Um, so looking at disruptive is, you know, we're a bunch of decisions made, um, based on that trigger being missed or, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, we want we want to, we want the game to happen as organically as possible. And that's a, that's a really fancy word for just saying like, is what should have happened is if we put the trigger on the stack, does it get us closer to what should have happened? Yeah. Like say, say I missed a gain of life trigger and my opponent swung all out, um, knowing that would be exact damage to kill me. And then we're like, oh, wait, we missed that trigger. Well, we're probably not going to put that trigger on the stack because, you know, he made the decisions based on your current life total. And um, it would be pretty disruptive at this point. Something like that. I, you know, that's going to be up to the judge. And yeah, like this, this decisions be having sorry game state is kind of a, a recurring theme that'll come up in a couple of other decisions that have been made on the game on the perceived game state is a kind of recurring theme that comes up a couple of times in this. Okay. Um, but basically, yeah, if, if if players have chosen their lines of play and built strategies based on the way things are, a judge suddenly coming in and going, oh no, wait, they're not like that, changing it and leaving is gonna be really bad for them. Yeah. And they're gonna really not enjoy it. Yep. Right. So okay. So yeah, that wraps up that wraps up triggers. Okay. Let's let's zoom through the next one. Um so a player actually accidentally sees a card that they shouldn't have seen. So say they are uh, shuffling their opponent's deck. Well, that's not a good example. Say they're drawing a card and they accidentally flip over the next one, right? Um Oops. Oops. This one's real easy. Just shuffle the unknown portion of the library. So if there's no scry effects or anything like that, you can just shuffle the whole library, shuffling that card that they saw back in. Um, if there's something like scry or, or, you know, cascade, when cascade was big, it was a big one for this. Um, if they know, you know, what the bottom two cards of the library are, leave those in place and just shuffle the rest of the library. Oh, but what if I've had a, a Fossa out and I've got some number of cards scryed to the bottom and I don't remember how many, maybe five, maybe six. I don't know. It just, just leave six down there, then, man. There you go. That's the opponent. Meet in the middle. It's really yeah, often. Not. Often, a reasonable guideline is like if they're not sure, take their estimate, and then leave like three or four extras. Like those card, those extra cards are random anyway, so it doesn't matter if you leave a little bit of extra right. randomness on top of the none. Right. But... Right. It just stay random. So that's a simple one. Um, all right. So what if? So what if a player accidentally draws too many cards and and. And judge, game, judge game speak, loss. draw, draw means, you know, it also means I have too many cards, I have more cards in hand than should have been accounted for. It doesn't necessarily mean they literally drew, um, it's something like doom blading your creature and then you put it in your hand. We, we count this under the same, infraction is not the word, common issue. So, so that's a game loss because at GPs and stuff like that, and I, I draw an extra card, I get a game loss. This, this is the game loss one. You yeah. said we don't give game loss as much. This is the one that we give game losses for, no. right? No. What? To be yeah, to be very clear, because I know Brian already said this, but it's never going to be your first response to give a game loss. Never. Almost never. Almost never. I okay. <laughs> I don't see any situation where you would give a game loss right out the door. A warning shot across their nose in the later. When if, we get if a to... player like if a player takes like ten minutes to turn up for their match, there's an exception. Oh okay. Well, that's, okay. That's right, a right, match. Right. They have forfeited the match. That's different, Kim. Fair, fair. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Um. Someone read the jar right before this. 
<laughs> or, or wrote it or something. Who knows? Yeah, you, well, that was oh. you. I'm just saying I read it. Um, oh, okay. Kim, Kim could be, Kim could be, uh, you could be completely wrong, CJ. Kim just has to open up a uh, word and. Uh... <laughs> uh... Doing it right now. <laughs> Next revision. CJ <laughs> always gets game losses. <laughs> All right. So what happens if someone draws too many cards? Because it's not a game loss. Uh, no, it's it's not a game loss, which means that we actually have to have a reasonable fix for it. <laughs> yeah. In this case, this fix is putting the cards back. It really is a cop out uh, of competitive. You're just like, eh, I don't <laughs> have we, to fix it. Game loss. Yeah, basically. Um, if you know what the cards are, put those cards where they should be. Well, if you know, if if the mainly if the opponent knows exactly the identity of those cards. Yeah, yeah you shouldn't trust the player to be like, oh, it was this mountain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally i always drew a forest yeah and and that's you know that's the doom blade example i made earlier you know everyone knows what was doom bladed so you can just put it in the graveyard or or you know in in standard right now culture of crucifix and conveniently reveal that things like that sure um but yeah i mean sometimes sometimes there is no culture of crucifix and you don't know what the the extra card is uh so if that happens we kind of put a, a random card back on top of the library and we do not shuffle the library just in case that card was not the one drawn Oh, but now I know what my card, my next card's gonna be. Yep. Yep. You sure do. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. It's I mean, basically it's... thought that the, uh, the 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 little the benefit from the extra knowledge of like knowing what that extra card is is pretty minor. Whereas like right, having your key card shuffled away is is a pretty major uh, major penalty in a way <laughs> that we don't really want to be giving. I kept my opener based on this one card. And it just got randomly shuffled away. Ex- I have definitely ex- kept like six land, one creature hands before. That could happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think I think if that happened to me, I might be venturing into general. You know, what would be coming out of my mouth would be venturing into general unwanted behavior land. <laughs> uh, so speaking of drawing at the uh, start of the game, what if what if you do draw say eight cards when you're starting the game? Is that different? Um, yeah, it's a bit different. If, uh, if a player's drawn an extra card at the start of the game, so before they've, uh, before, before they've really had a chance to make decisions and build strategies based on that extra card, we just take the extra card and shuffle it into the deck. Um, notably, this is a little bit different to the competitive version, where we take the extra card and one more. So in competitive, if someone draws eight cards, you take them down to six. At regular rel, you just take away ones, you take them to seven, which is the number they should have. Yeah, so the only situation where you shuffle is uh, if they drew too many at the start of the game, and then even then you let them keep mulliganing, which makes sense in case you took away that one creature or whatever in their crazy hand. Okay. So let me let me ask let me ask this question before we go on. So there's there there is a a school of thought. It's like okay, the the game loss for drawing extra cards at competitive is to 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 make it you know to to penalize the the the, the cheaters. You know this this right here. Um, I'm taking on a slightly argumentative tone to get across the point is like this incentivizes someone to just try and draw an extra card because if they do draw an extra card and they get caught, oh, well, just put the card back. What's uh, what is what is the the the, the philosophy behind that? 
you know, or how, uh, how would you respond to some, a player making that claim? So I guess the I guess the big one is that the the uh, the game laws isn't to punish cheaters. Ideally, you want to be disqualifying cheaters in order to to deal with that issue. The game loss is actually to disincentivize it. So make yes. the make the cost of the action greater than the the benefit of the action. Now at regular rel, hopefully the prizes are not meant to be particularly high. So theoretically, the, the benefit of the action is dramatically reduced because you don't really stand to win much. Like if you, it's the difference between winning one more booster, say. Um, so the system, like the, 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 the structure of a regular relevant should already be disincentivizing cheating by reducing the, what you can gain from doing so. The, 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 other, the other point is just, just because a player did something wrong uh, doesn't mean that they cheated. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of, uh, or, or I see claims that a player did something wrong. How could they possibly have made that mistake? Uh, uh, clearly they must've been cheating. So, so obviously when we, when we, we assume in these particular cases, we're assuming that the, the mistakes are honest mistakes. If in asking, you know, if you're coming up and asking questions and finding out what happens that you start getting a whiff that something might not be, uh, on the up and up. Uh, obviously, you're not going to be just fixing it and walking away. Yeah, exactly. It's. I mean, with with any of our documents, the the penalties, the the penalties and the fixes and the uh, common issues written in most sections assume innocent mistakes, and actual cheating is dealt with in different sections. Yeah, we'll cover that. But spoiler, it's disqualification. <laughs> um, all right. So, what if a player's deck is illegal? Um, Another oh, instant game was like competitive, but might be different yeah, an to example, you. An example of this that comes up regularly at regular REL, mm. no pun intended, mm. is uh, is a play a new player to the game who shows up with uh, decks a deck of cards that he thought was legal for standard or even modern. Uh, modern's a big one right now. You know, oh this this isn't was in a dual deck and it has the new frame. And my friends told me anything with the new fl- frame I could play in modern. Right. Um, and has the wrong cards. So so this. Um, I would say among new players this is actually a pretty common mistake is to show up at an event uh, thinking their deck is legal when it's very not legal. Um, so yeah, we don't want to penalize somebody who just showed up uh, to play their first magic event today by saying, ha, you're going to game loss. Um, so we fix the deck. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's the quickest, like the section's longer, but that's the quickest summary is you just fix the deck, whatever right. that requires. Yeah. What, what are you, what are you supposed to be playing? you know, and then fix it and yeah. move on. You got 59 cards. Let's add a card. You, um, you have four to fairies from commander in your modern deck. Well, that's not legal. Um, you know, we'll replace them with something. One of the, uh, one of the really, uh, big things on, um, I just completely forgot what I was about. To... Okay. One of the really big things on this one is obviously, uh, regular relevance often don't have deck lists. Um, actually, if you feel that your event requires a deck list, that's often a good sign that maybe it shouldn't be at regular rel. Um, which means that when you find mistakes like this, um, pretty much your only option is to ask the player what they intended to be playing and, and work with them to, to come to a, a legal deck. And again, again, uh, I, I hear a lot of players, well, of course they're going to say they've had an opportunity to scout the field now. Now they can replace it with, eh, Yeah, right. No, yeah, no, no one coming to an FNM with four Teferis in his deck is, you know, going to plan that so that they can replace those four Teferis with, 
you know, whatever, whatever awesome card is going to beat the field. Right. Um, yeah, it's not going to happen. So, and this, this also, this also holds true for, um, you know, the whole, I'm playing my deck and I draw an oblivion ring and I'm playing mono black. Um, yeah. What? Uh, and then you, you find out and you're like, Oh, this is my opponent's oblivion ring from last game or from last round. Okay, uh, so a competitive, that's one thing. An FNM, just, you know, give the Oblivion Ring back to the guy who it belonged to. Let the guy draw a card to replace the uh, the, the Oblivion Ring mm-hmm. that he did. Uh, fix his deck if it's 59 cards. Find out what the 60th card is and get it in there. If he had 61 cards with the Oblivion Ring, great. Yeah, and, and, and we'll, we'll shuffle the Oblivion Ring into the correct owner's library. Um, once again, maintaining any known portion of the library, of course. All like right. We've mentioned a million times, uh, since since regular REL is, is focused on education, the JAR specifically calls out to encourage the players to count their deck and present their sideboard uh, to their opponents before starting a game. Has has anyone actually ever seen someone present their sideboard? Nope. Seen it before. In fact, I've seen. I, I was at an SCG Open once where the judge, the head judge, announced that everybody needed to, and players actually did it. Um, so, like, it's definitely a thing I've seen happen. I present my sideboard, um, and I know that there are a number of other players who do in order to protect themselves. There's um there's these there's these two deck deck boxes that are becoming really popular now again as well, which I think makes doing this significantly more important because it means that at least you've taken your sideboard out of that box and it's very clear what is your sideboard. Yeah, yes. your sideboard pretty much negates any problem you would have with there are also cards in my box. And yep. so I, I, you know no matter what level of play you're at, it's a really good habit to just pull your sideboard out of your box and set it to the side. Uh, and say, hey, that's my sideboard right there. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about any other error that occurs beyond what we just talked about. Okay. I cast Lightning so, Bolt for white. I attacked with a creature that doesn't, uh, the first turn it came out. Uh, I, I blocked with a creature that was tapped. Yes. The vast majority of all and, errors during a game fall under this. Um, and so this is... Uh, what you do is you, if you can fix it, uh, do you do so by rewinding to the point of the error, okay? And if you can't, uh, you leave it as it is. Uh, now there's some there's some there's some other variations of that. If you didn't draw or discard enough cards, you just go ahead and do that right now. Um, you draw or discard those cards. Uh, however, other otherwise, yeah. Uh, now there's rewinding probably takes a little bit of, of explanation, but you either, like I said, back up to the point of error or leave the game as it is. And so you have to figure out whether or not the game is going to be better for the rewind or not. What, one more thing on, on leaving the game as it is. Um, if, if there is anything, if, if like the game state as it currently is, regardless of how it got there, is currently illegal for some reason, like, I don't know, uh, uh, green aura enchanting a, a creature with protection from green, you do apply state-based actions to fix the stuff that just actually can't exist. That happens. Yeah, now, that doesn't... It is possible, for example, like a creature with shroud to have an aura on, or not uh, hexproof or whatever, to have a uh, aura from the opponent on it. You know, that's not 
you know, illegal from a state-based action standpoint. Okay, it might have been illegal whenever it happened, but the enchantment on that creature is legal now. Like you've got an yeah. equipment, you've got an equipment on something that couldn't be targeted. So, that, so that'll be a rewind or don't kind of situation, right? Where you have to make that call. Uh, so this is this is just kind of one of those things. Uh, there's a section in the IPG. I know we we talk about not using IPG, but it actually goes into the philosophy of rewinds and describing what a good rewind looks like. Uh, but the, but generally, it's if a lot of decisions haven't been made based on the game state that it is now, and a lot of information hasn't been revealed, and you generally feel that you feel that the game will be better for the rewind then it's and not a lot has happened then go ahead and do it else leave it alone and this this is where uh, I, I said that like um decisions being made on the game on the way the game is will feature again and this is really where it comes up like if players have have planned lines of play and made decisions about an, a mistake like in a game with a mistake that happened two or three turns ago almost certainly going to be too difficult to to go back and undo that mistake so it's very likely that mistake is going to have to stand as it is and the the other really big thing to remember is that when we do rewind um we can't change the things the players have seen and the players know so like if someone cast a counter spell uh on a legal target we the the other player knows that that counter spell is in hand now so the the information that's been revealed to the two players is something that should factor into these kind of decisions absolutely so that pretty much covers all the, the common issues, right? Yeah. So um, the only other thing to mention, and we mentioned this earlier, is if, if you uh, see someone, you know, messing something up and uh, they just keep doing it over and over and over again, uh, you do have the option to um, to give out a game loss there if you feel it's warranted. But you do need to you need to warn them first. You need to say, hey, you know, do this one more time. Um, I will have to give you a game loss or whatever. I, it has to be a pretty severe situation for me personally. I mean, this this just comes down to um, some people find it. Some people really need uh, consequences to be able to to retain something. So yeah. when there are no consequences to them making that mistake, they'll just continue making it and not really be that motivated to fix it. So we do have the option of attaching consequences to the mistake to go. Look, no, seriously, you need to fix this, and if you don't, this is going to happen. And I'd like to point out in all of the regular REL events I've run, which is an insane number of regular REL events, I have said many times, if you continue doing this, you will receive a game loss. But I've only actually given a game loss a very small handful of times. And so, so just telling them, hey, if this happens again, it's going to be a problem is often enough to make them stop whatever behavior is causing the problem. Another another interesting thing that we that on on the stuff that we've talked about all of these issues that we've talked about are rule-based, okay? Uh, forgetting to draw a card or drawing a card when you aren't supposed to or seeing a top card at the library or making a, a, an in-game error. Uh, so the common issues, these all seem to be rule-based. So what about the errors that, that kind of deal with more people <laughs> and tournament procedures and stuff like that? Oh, it's funny you say that. Let's talk about the general unwanted behaviors, or gubs, as we all call them. But for the record, I find is it that really actually a thing? No, uh, that, that's not a thing. But they make me spell <laughs> behaviors with an uh, without a U, and that makes me really sad. They just steal letters from my words. Technically, you you didn't spell judgment the way um, Americans do, but 
I let it slide. Evidently, whoever, whoever proofread this completely missed it. <laughs> I'm the only one in the world who knows it. Look at the old set You're judgment. It's it spelled the right Behaviors. 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 Do you pronounce it the same way? How do you say it? Behaviors? Eh, it's close enough. It's a behavior. I, I, behavior. I think it's basically the same, but with a British accent. Ah, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That makes sense. So. <laughs> they, they, uh, uh, I do a lot of work with uh, uh, in a database, and it was some of the database was designed by Canadians, and some of their table names and their column names have the funny U's in <laughs> weird places, like the word labor and stuff like that, and it just it drives me up the wall. I mess that up so often. Funny U. The funny U. I mean, it doesn't have like a tilde or an umlau or anything over it, but it's just the fact that it's there. The word for that is superfluous. Ah, there we go. And it also has a U in it. <laughs> but that U is not superfluous. It has at least huh. two U's in it, right? At least two. Or or if it was British, then it's got like five. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Their are countries actually in America. We just, It's just called the K. <laughs> but, you know, they have to add the extra U. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second to get that just... one. <laughs> Um. All right. No more jokes. We're not allowed to be funny on jokes. Okay. Uh. So Gubs. Gubs. Number one. Taking unreasonable amounts of time shuffling or making decisions. That would be a human. A human issue, like you were talking about, right, Brian? Yes. Yeah. So these 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 Gubs. They don't really have um fixes per se for the most part. Uh. You know, it's not like these other issues where we we tell you what to do to resolve it. But still, these are issues that we don't want to happen at regular REL. So I imagine the quote-unquote fix for most of these is to tell the player, hey, don't do that. And ideally tell them what to do as well. Sure. Yep. That makes sense. So, yeah, play, players take an unreasonable amount of time. This one's this one's always, even, even at competitive, this one's always a little finicky because players are real sensitive about how they they play and we we talked about this in the in the slow play episode where where they they get you know like almost insulted yeah uh, some of them do so you're you're still not allowed to play slowly uh but just for, you know please remember when you're dealing with this to to try and handle it tactfully but just because you're you're afraid there's going to be an issue doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, say anything Every F and M always has that one guy that goes to turn every single, uh, every single uh, round. You can't know. Every single you get to talk round. With him. Every single day. All the time. All the time. <laughs> twice on Sunday. I, literally I mean, twice. I, on, I, we ran two events on Sunday. Literally twice on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I played against that player in various different events and various different stores, and it is immeasurably frustrating. Yep. So well, it's also, this is, it's also this a matter of, important. of, I'm sorry, Kim, go ahead. So, so this is important to act on. Like while that player might feel quite upset that you've, uh, you've asked them about it. Normally they actually take it really well, but occasionally they don't. Every other player in that room is going to thank you for it. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Cause, cause they know. And again, we're trying to make, make, create an, uh, an environment where people can come and have fun. And when, you get seated across from that guy and you just know that it's going to be that kind of, it's just going to be 50 minutes of just, bleh. yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't exactly create an environment that's fun for the other players. Right. Okay. The next gub 
asking for or providing strategic information during a match and or draft. Basically, we want you to still play your games of Magic. Oh, uh, dude, teamers totally open. You should move in on that. Yeah, you don't want to do that during a draft. Now, I, I don't want people to get confused because if you're at a pre-release and you have your buddy help you uh, build your deck, you know, that's generally considered okay because at, cause at uh, pre-releases or any event without a deck list, we generally have what's called continuous construction. Well, for limited. For limited, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Constructed, it would be kind of awkward. Yeah. Uh, at limited, we have continuous construction. And uh, what that means is even if we said, hey, you can't talk to your buddy um, during the build portion, you could still just talk to your buddy between rounds and still change your deck. So there's no reason to really try to outlaw that. But... We'd still want you to be playing your own matches and doing your own drafts. Right. And the other the other thing is sitting next to and it's like, oh, you should play that card. Oh, you should attack here. Oh, he doesn't have so and so you can totally go in. Yeah. Yeah, that's not OK. Not only not only is it annoying, which it is, it's also just not OK. Yep. All right. The next one is just uh, not shuffling enough. We yeah. want people to shuffle enough. Shocker. Yeah. To shuffle more. The fix is. Shuffle Please more. shuffle better. <laughs> shuffle more. Yeah, that one's an easy one. Uh, and and this, this this is one of the ones where it's particularly important to try and like educate players about how to shuffle because a lot of the time if someone's shuffling badly, they just don't realize that they're shuffling badly. They don't understand how to shuffle well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've, I've actually I've actually talked to somebody and told them, uh, you know, to shuffle better. And their response was, I kid you not, it was like, oh, that's really helpful because I always tend to draw the same cards after I mulligan. Mm. And it's just like, well, I mean, maybe... Maybe you should shuffle more. Maybe you should, Maybe you could have realized this on your own then? I don't know. Maybe. I always seem to draw the exact same cards after I mulligan. It's really frustrating. And like, I've, I've definitely had like players that uh, that do the do the thing where you have your cards facing towards you in like a vertical riffle shuffle and then like cut it. And they think that's fine because that's how they've always been shown how to shuffle by friends. That's how their friends shuffle and things. Yeah. Mm. But of course, doesn't really meet the criteria of no one being able to know the order of cards in your deck. Yep. All right. Tardiness. Uh-oh. Oh, no. So we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if someone shows up uh, 10 or more minutes late after you've started the round, we'll, uh, we'll game waltz them twice, according to the next version of the jar. But they're assumed to have forfeited the match. Um, and if they don't show up by the end of the round, we'll just drop them from the tournament. I think where it gets a little more interesting is what if they show up like five minutes late? Oh, or eight minutes late. Or eight this minutes. is actually so. So I have a, a question. My my question is, why doesn't the 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 tournament organizer have any say here? Uh, in you know, as opposed to like with the competitive REL events, the tournament organizer has the say of of how long should be granted in leniency, but it doesn't go the other direction at regular REL. And I'm wondering what the philosophy behind that is. Um, I mean the the uh, uh, the the words. <laughs> Just add a so YouTube the, and you'll be fine. No. <laughs> oh. So the leniency generally, uh, I believe, gets applied at the sort of game loss end on tardiness. So people will say, instead of giving you a game loss if you're not in your seat the minute the round starts, uh, you won't get a game loss until three minutes in. I don't right. think I've ever seen a competitive round tournament that hasn't given a, a match loss at 10 minutes. No, no, no. You, you are correct, and that's not. I think you misunderstood what I was saying. Um, in that, uh, my question is, you know, if you have an event with, say, you know, fifty, sixty, eighty players in it, um, and people show up eight minutes late, um, why doesn't why you know, it feels uh, frustrating 
to all the players there to say, oh, we're going to add eight minutes to this round to give an extension to to this one guy who was late because and not give him a game loss. Like, okay, well, maybe we should talk you know, about how to fix the issue since you just touched on it. Sure. Uh, if they show up five, ten minutes late, or far, sorry, five or nine. eight minutes late, nine minutes and forty-five seconds late. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't have that concept of a game loss like we do at uh, competitive REL. So, right, it's exactly what Jess was just saying. You, you, um, I mean, you do nothing. You say, okay, go play. Uh, but don't forget, we can still give time extensions, and we should give a time extension here because the opponent deserves 50 minutes for the round. The opponent did everything right. Yeah. Now, also, also on, on account, you do have the option to, uh, you know, say like, okay, this one you need to be there on time, but then the next occurrence is going to be a game loss. Yeah. Okay. You you do you do have that you do have that option. And while it can be kind of frustrating, I think probably the the impact to the events are is is less because regular events can normally absorb that eight minutes a lot easier than like super large competitive events. You know, like around like rounds rounds will actually finish early. You might be able to turn around in forty five minutes at regular at an F and M, but you'll never be able to do that at a PTQ. I just, I'd say, I just, I just went to go and actually check the IPG on what, on what Jess was saying about tournament organizers having leniency and the only thing, or oh, having a, a margin to, to flexibility. And the only thing I can see in the IPG is giving additional time before issuing a penalty, which is the game loss, rather than saying that they can issue a match loss earlier. Right. No, no, no you're absolutely correct. And I don't think a match loss should ever be issued earlier. Um, what I mean is for, for particularly large regular REL events, I was wondering why, um, you know, it seems that this breaks from, from the philosophy of the rest of the, the jar. Um, and this is something we could talk about later. That doesn't necessarily need to be on the show, but uh, in that in the, it's uh, inconveniencing a large number of players um, in, in the spirit of, of friendliness, if you will. So sure. I mean, the, the brief answer is we, we don't want to end up in, in general, in most situations, we don't want to be giving harsher penalties at regular rel uh, than at competitive rel. And giving a, giving a drop, like, telling someone they forfeited a match after seven minutes at regular rel is harsher than at competitive. No, I think, I think what just, I think, I think you're still misunderstanding. I'm saying that my opinion is that you should should allow an an option for a game loss. I'm not saying that that should necessarily be the default, but the tournament organizer doesn't even have the option to say, this is an inconvenience to my tournament and it's, it's bad for business. You know, why, why can't they do that? Uh, and oh, actually, and, like, yeah. yeah sorry, sorry. And in the, I mean, in the introductory uh, philosophy section of the jar, the, uh, the chunk that we talked about a bit at the beginning, right. it does say that if you, if you feel the suggested remedy is not well adapted, you, you can, uh, you can apply a, a more appropriate fix. So you do have the flexibility to say, uh, an example is sometimes you have uh, stores which absolutely have to close at 10 for legal reasons or whatever and just can't give 10-minute time extensions to their FNM. So, I mean, there is built into the system, there is the, the, the leniency to occasionally decide that in your, partic- in your particular uh, situation, the suggestions prescribed in this are just not appropriate for whatever reason. But you probably want to announce that ahead of time, right? Oh God, yes, yeah. you definitely want. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you're going to do something different, you <laughs> definitely need to announce it ahead of time. That would be that would be terrible. Oh my God. I wasn't. Uh, just 30 <laughs> minutes into the round, you're like, okay, uh, take your five additional turns. Mm. Oh, that would be so bad. <laughs> All right. Um, the final gub is. Uh, 
That's the best way to. So this is the new. This is the yeah. most recent change. Yeah, uh, it must be tough to make changes to the jar because because you guys are, are really trying to keep that two page limit, I assume. Yeah. Um, but so, so this is just. Can we say it's just? It's you're violating Wheaton's law. Yes. Uh, is is probably one of the you're 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 well just as you are behaving a player whose behavior may be upsetting others or making them uncomfortable should be educated and asked to stop immediately. So you are you are upsetting other people with your behavior, whether it's it's a, a lot of profanity, whether it's you know uh, slurs. Or, or, or not necessarily that, but just, just, just unflattering language in general, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, educate them. That's not appropriate. Stop. Put your, you know, your your big-breasted anime babe sleeves away. That kind of thing. Um, if you don't, if they don't, uh, then again, for unwanted behaviors, we're seeing the thing where it's like, you, you attempt to educate and if they continue on you have the ability to assign a game loss uh to help uh stress the seriousness of the problem uh now if they're if they're going beyond you know that kind of stuff if they're if they're actively you know threatening somebody or uh uh uh, you know, threatening to punch somebody or knocking a chair out from under them or I'll meet you in the parking lot, that kind of stuff, then that's obviously outside the realm of unwanted behaviors and starts becoming something else. I'd call it a serious problem. Would be a serious problem. We got a serious problem here. Yeah. So, so Kim, did you want to add anything else to this section since it's, it's relatively new, uh, at least in words written in the doc? I think don't be a um, jerk is, is kind of been a philosophy for forever. Yeah, there used to be basically one sentence that said don't be a jerk, but uh, when there were the when there's been a lot of obviously a, a lot of focus recently on improving the uh, the sort of behavior and the environment on events, we felt that expanding it at regular rel to make a clear path of how to deal with things was going to be very valuable. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that I can add to this is that there is like there is again there is a degree of flexibility. Um, like I I I have a one local store that runs two different kinds of events, some aimed at kids in the store that are early and some aimed at adults, which take place in the pub much later. And like the, the, the level of uh, enforcing on profanity, for example, that I do between those two events is different. Um, but it's important to remember that your events should be welcoming for someone who walks in. Like a lot of people are going to walk into the store and that'll be their first experience of magic. And if the environment in that store is, uh, is, is unfriendly and is uncomfortable, then they're going to walk out and never pick up a card again. And that's what we want to avoid. All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's talk about serious problems. So serious problems. Um, I think this is the one part of the jar which I I believe a hundred percent lines up with uh, the IPG. As in, every serious problem is a disqualification. And if it's a, if it's if it would get you DQ'd in the IPG, it'll get you DQ'd in the jar. I believe that's correct. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one's pretty easy, pretty cut and dry. Um, if you are aggressive, Brian basically touched on these. If you're aggressive or violent or uh, overly harassing to another person, um, yeah, that's that's it. We're we're going to disqualify you. There's no, there's no. Don't you do that again? Uh, well, th- there should be that too, but it's it's don't do that again. And think about what you did while you're standing outside waiting for someone to come pick you up and take you home. Yeah. Um, 
I just does anyone want to add on that one? That's pretty. Yep. I think it's quite straightforward. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So cheating, basically. So intentionally and knowingly breaking the rules, or noticing your opponent broke the rules and not saying anything, um, or just straight lying to your opponent. Um, is, in order to gain it, in order to gain an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. So the little caveat there is that uh, you, you can still bluff about what the MTR calls hidden information, but anything your opponent doesn't um, doesn't isn't able to see. Like if you say my hand has four lightning bolts in it, well, that's fine. Yeah. But if they ask, you know, what does this Japanese card do? And you're just like, I'm just going to lie to you, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, it's it's the same criteria as as the IPG. It's it's you have to you have to break a rule, okay, or let somebody else break a rule and not say anything. You have to know that you did it, and you have to be doing it in order to gain an advantage, or lying. Yeah. Which I guess if you're if you're if you're not knowingly lying, are you really lying? <laughs> hmm. I think I think lying implicitly implies implicitly implies cheating. I think lying yeah. uh, requires intent. Yes, there's 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 all sorts of like philosophies about lying. It's like it's like if you lie to somebody, but you're wrong. So what you say is actually true. Was it really a lie? <laughs> no. But none of none of that. Nah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So once again, pretty straightforward. I think the serious problems are pretty straightforward. Um, yep. Gambling. We don't want any gambling on matches. Uh, there's a reason the anti-cards have been banned forever. Yep. Um, also, you can't determine the outcome of a match using anything outside of that match. So that's the old roll a die to figure out who's the winner or you know, flip a coin or arm wrestle or even so much as, hey, we're going... Play EDH. Yeah. Play EDH to determine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, anything outside that game of Magic you're supposed to be playing. This one's this one's actually the one that results in the most DQs and surprises when you're talking to L1, surprises them the most. Yes. That something along the lines of, hey, um, if you give me your FNM promo, I'll scoop to you. And they're just like, and you're just like, what are you doing there? Oh, it's like, oh, I tell them not to do that anymore. Yeah. It's like, tell them that before or after you dq them and they're like dq them what um yeah yeah well, i mean i mean when when the jar was still relatively new it, it was really tough for me when taking policy tests to be like dq the person but absolutely we still we still dq for these things yep so so that is that is the the you know that's probably more rampant at fnms and regular than you than you think you still need to be vigilant for it as a judge. The whole uh, let's uh, uh, scoop to me and we'll split prizes. No, because there there's an if there's a there's an if in there, you know, or it's a conditional statement. If you scoop to me, then we'll split prizes. You know, that's kind of a, a, a sign that you're 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 in a bad place. Uh, Anytime there's an if for that, it's a bad place. Yes. Uh, rather, a, a this for that, I should say. If it's, you know, result for something, doesn't matter what the something is. If there's result for something, you're in a bad now, place. Yeah. Now, again, the whole, do you want to split prizes? Yes. Okay, well, then I scoop to you. That's fine, because the two statements were separate. Now, granted, the first one removed the incentive to play the game, but there's no condition there's no agreement in that regard. That's fine. <clears throat> I'll scoop to you if you split prizes. No. And the worst example of that I probably ever saw was uh, players that were going to lose one pack if they drew. And, uh, and one player trying to convince the other one to scoop to him in order to split the contents of the pack. Uh, 
As, as he said, I don't care if I get the uncommons or the rare, but I want one of those. Hmm. I had I had one where it was, hey, I need to leave. You give me two bucks for bus money and I'll scoop. And these are yeah, and these are examples of things you should not do. Like, yes, you might bad think it's OK, but don't Dunks. do these. <laughs> yes. Bad example. Story time with Professor Dunks uh, as normal. <laughs> it's kind of becoming a segment. Um, <laughs> All right. Anything else we want to add about that before we move on to the final serious problem? Nope. All right. The last one is theft. Don't don't steal. You'll get DQ'd. Oh, hey, I accidentally shuffled my opponent's rare into my deck after Oblivion ringing it. I'll just put it in my backpack. Uh-uh. That is theft, and that will get you DQ'd. Or I'm in a draft, and let me take this rare out and replace it with a rare from my binder. Yeah, that's probably the most common example, to be honest. Yeah. Of, uh, of it is, is, well, not even a rare from the binder, just any card, like, uh, replacing cards in a draft is probably the most common example of theft. So, so let's just let's just talk briefly. Um, if you DQ a player, yes, okay, you still want to collect a statement from them if they will give you one. You still want to write a statement, and you still want to put it in Judge Center. Uh, you can listen to our our episode was it ninety ninety eight on uh, on uh, what happens after you decide make the decision to DQ a person. Uh, but that still holds. Like you still want to. Uh, uh, give them an opportunity to tell their side of the story. You still want to tell your side of the story and you still want to pro- provide it because if the player is cheating at your store and has cheated at another store, you know, that uh, you know, if you don't write it down, if you don't record it, then how is anybody going to know? It's episode 95. Yeah, we, we definitely still want to. We definitely still want to know when people are when people are cheating at, at regular relevance, or uh, when people are being aggressive at regular relevance. Basically, if they're doing things that we don't want them doing anywhere, it's important you let us know. Yes. So. All right. Um, the only other thing I want to mention about regular is uh, is that the magic tournament rules still apply. Um, so they may be something someone wants to read if they are thinking about becoming a judge, but. That's that's a topic for another episode. So so wait, I can't put proxies in my in my FNM deck. That is correct. You cannot. What if they are proxies of the four commander Teferis from the previous for deck mo- for from modern? No, for for uh, for FNM, I I proxied the Teferis from the commander deck. To yeah, you can't. My you still can't. Yeah, that's can I replace so- them with real Teferis? I mean, no, no, not for anything other than legacy. Oh. It's 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 worth noting that um with the with all the changes coming up to uh, to FNMs and things uh, in January I think where you can run basically any format as an FNM um there is going to be a policy update in the Magic tournament rules to clarify various things apply to casual formats uh like Commander and and I don't plain, know what plain that chase arch enemy plain chase arch enemy wizards tower right but it's a, it, no matter what those updates are and and I might be speaking out of turn here but I'm pretty sure that those are not going to allow proxy cards in any shape oh, or God. form. Uh, those will so very certainly not allow proxy cards. Yeah. But in general, right. all of the questions people have are going to be answered. They just haven't been yet. But oh, they right. will be answered by the time that it's. I can just imagine it's gonna it's gonna happen where people are gonna sit down. And they're gonna be playing F and M, and some guy is gonna draw his revised planes with patriarchs bidding written on it, <laughs> and be like, "Uh oh." And then you <laughs> handle it according to the jar, like we discussed earlier. Oops. 
Whoops. I, I did actually have a, a PTQ way, way back in the day where a friend lent me a deck, and when I drew a mountain with a printout of stomping ground over the front, I realized I should have checked the cards in the deck. Oh, no. No. <laughs> so, you know, that can happen. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I guess we, we got a few more questions uh, jar-related, but that's that's the jar document in its in a nutshell. Um, so Kim, uh, so you've been doing this for you've been you've been jar overlord for a little over a year, I think you said. Uh, it's coming up to a couple of years now, but oh, yeah. Okay, so what made you decide to take over this document? Um, so I'd been helping out a bit on some other policy issues. I was involved in some of the missed trigger changes, and I'd really enjoyed doing it. Um, and the the guy who had been uh, who'd sort of concepted the jar and written the first version, James McKay, uh, stepped back and stopped uh, stopped judging. Which meant that we kind of had this whole section of policy that needed someone to look after it. And when I was given the opportunity, sort of asked if I'd be interested in doing so, I kind of jumped at that. So basically, it it needed doing, and it's something that I enjoyed doing. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, so we're we you touched on it a little bit, but I, I wanted to give I wanted to give you an uh, an opportunity more maybe to to drive this point home. But in reading in reading the jar. <clears throat> There seems to be some flexibility here and there. You talked about maybe you know TOs have the ability to to, to change things a little bit, uh, and we're, we allow a little bit more uh, 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 leeway for judge discretion on some of the calls than maybe we do at uh, at competitive. Why is the jar structured in this way? Um, so there's a there's a massive scope in regular relevance in terms of what <laughs> players look for and in terms of who they're trying to cater for. And we basically because because the uh, because the focus of the jar is on fun and is on education. Sometimes the things which are fun for one person are not necessarily going to remain fun for you know they're not going to be fun in every circumstance. So sometimes you're going to have um uh sometimes you're going to have a play group that goes to FNM to test for PTQs and the judge stepping in and pointing out to their opponents that they've missed triggers is therefore not going to be fun for those people um so basically we we allow the flexibility to allow people to allow judges and tos to cater for their players cool cool there's just a lot of fnms all over the place <laughs> regulars and stuff okay uh i guess before we get into uh let me ask you how do you guys solicit changes for the document like when it's when it's up for review and someone has maybe someone has an idea for a change, uh, or you guys are observe. How do you guys go about observing whether or not the policies and procedures are working out? Uh, and how do you, how do you get feedback uh, as to whether or not you need to uh, for future changes? Um, so, I mean, there's a there's a group of us that work on the jar. I have a I have a sort of focus group of judges from level one up to level three, so they can give me in different countries who can give me different perspectives on how things are being received. Uh, additionally, we actually have a we actually have a jar blog now, which is on the Magic Judges blog platform that people can leave comments on um, about changes, about things we've explained. And and finally, of course, there's the there's the Judge Apps forum. I actually I read everything that's put in the regular REL for uh, board on that forum. And there are quite a few changes that have come into the jar that are based off discussions that have happened there. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so. Uh, uh... Do you have do you have any other comments about the jar in general? Anybody? I, I think it's cool. Like I, I like I, I think it's cool. I love the concept of this two page document. Like it's so small. I love that it's so small, but yet it still has like all the info in it. Um, 
because people are lazy. I, I can't tell you how many times I've I've been able to tell like people at competitive have only read like the the titles of the infractions and not the actual text beneath them. I mean, it's why it's why player communication violation had to change to communication policy violation. Like, because people only read the title. So I love that we have this right. short little document. It's it's bullet it's bullet points. It's easy and. And don't give match losses or game losses right away for for things like drawing extra cards. Yeah, like if you've learned nothing else from this. I, I basically need a macro for that for so many discussions. <laughs> it hurts me. Please do not give a game loss. It hurts me every time I hear someone yeah. do it. And and if you're if you're an L two, uh, this this is actually something that I, that I've found. If you're an L two and someone comes up to you and is like, "Hey, I'm interested in becoming a judge." And you, you know, you talk to them a little bit. If you ask them if they've heard of the jar, and they say yes, oh, that's a keeper. Test that boy right, right now, girl. <laughs> Test them. them. Them's a keeper. Oh, it's um, so rare. I had one guy I, came up, and he's like, just yeah. "Test them," but but like, you should probably ask you should probably look into testing. Yes, go through all the regular whatever. And I had one guy <laughs> come up, and he's like, "Yeah, I already read all the judge classes," and I was just like, "Oh, single tear rolls down my eye." Another point is, like, if you're a level two, the jar is still relevant to you. If yes. you're a level three, the jar is still relevant to you. Like, it's it's not that it's inferior to the other documents. I think some people sometimes perceive a hierarchy, maybe because it's so small. Like, it flat out applies to different events. So you, you should still be familiar with what's in it, and it's two pages long. Like, it's going to take you five minutes to read and make sure that you know what's in it. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate problem i think i think a lot of l2s have ignored it particularly us old timers where the jar didn't exist um when we certified which i believe is true of everyone talking right I now was, i was actually a little mad when they split the jar out because having to learn all the policy and all the all the penalty differences oh yeah there were, there were differences in the fixes too like learning all of those and then having all of them go away yeah like 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 six months after I tested on them, I was a little mad. That was a lot of work to, to memorize those. I was, I was like, I had to learn all this stuff. You should too. Yeah, it took a little bit of time to come around. But but yeah, it's this this two-page document governs more, more events than all of the GPs, all of the Opens, all of the Pro Tours combined. Probably on a single Friday. <laughs> yeah. Like every week, just right. Like I'm, I'm staggered when I find out when I hear you know vague numbers about how many two-headed giant events were run in a, a a year. Yeah. It's staggering. It's unbelievably large. Because I, I, I don't see them all that often. But yeah, but sure enough, they, they're a thing. They're out there. So, all right. So uh yeah let's let's dive into our news real quick we're gonna we're gonna skip emails again this episode because we are once again going long um it's, it's an important topic it's an extra special thanksgiving episode yeah so you can you can listen to us instead of your uncle talk about how he ate too much turkey yeah your uncle brian yeah that's turkey with a u <laughs> what <laughs> that's how you oh wait that is how you spell it turkey actually has a u it's mossy <laughs> with a u that's what it is mousy uh, all right, we got a ton of new level threes, so I'm just going to run through them. I don't even have where they're from, but congratulations to Takanori Nakamura, uh, Sandra Regalado, Antonio Jose Rodriguez, and Josh Feingold. I'm just kidding. I can pronounce his name. Yes, congratulations, guys. I like it when my four years of Spanish 
finally come become useful. Yes. Yes. Congratulations, guys. We've got so many level threes. All right. Let's talk about uh, Judges for Charity, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So so the website, uh, judgesforcharity.com. Uh, .com. Uh, this, this weekend at, uh, at GP Jersey, they debuted the, uh, the Dapper versus Handsome Playmats. You mean two weekends ago. Was it two weekends because ago? this is Thanksgiving. Oh, right, right. Yes. <laughs> sorry, gotta maintain Man, we almost energy. made it. We almost made it. Oh, uh, uh, sorry, sorry. Time's just been flying by. I didn't realize. Sure. Yeah. Um, so they debuted the, uh, they debuted the playmats, uh, sold them there. Uh, uh, the profits go to, uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, they, so the playmat Dapper versus Handsome features, uh, uh, two judges, uh, 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 Prince Handsome, uh, uh, Jared Silva, and some other judge. <laughs> Kim, can you remember who that other judge was? I, I think that Team Dapper is clearly so superior that you just cannot retain the name in your head. Is that what that is? It's tough to beat Dapper, Dan. It is Dan. too Dapper for you to remember it. Oh. I mean, Jared is a literal Disney prince. But... He does look exactly yeah, like that guy. Dan- Daniel looks like Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Kidder, Kidder, Daniel K. Daniel K. Daniel K. <laughs> Kitterchewski, Kitterchewski, yes. Yeah. Uh, so it is. It is uh, uh, the U.S. versus France, uh, uh, or France versus the U.S. Dapper versus Handsome. Um, uh, they raised uh, one thousand dollars at uh, GP Jersey. Uh, their goal before uh, uh, Grand Prix Miami is to raise $4,000. So please go to Judges for Charity, uh, uh, check it out, place an order. Um, there is uh, plans like they've stood up the, the framework for the website where they have plans to do other things. Uh, uh, you know, they've kind of, uh, this is done by CJ Crooks and uh, uh, Michael Lopez. Uh, um, both of them have done a lot of work. They've had a lot of other people that have helped as well, which is on their website. They 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 list the the names of people that have helped them out. But those are the two guys that are that are spearheading this, and they're talking about maybe expanding it from Playman, maybe doing shirts or notebooks or something like that, uh, with a different uh, with a different charity for each uh, uh, each product. So yeah. it's so definitely take take a look at it. Take a look at it. Uh, uh, buy some, buy a playmat, get get a get a nice playmat, uh, and help uh, the Make a Wish Foundation. I already ordered mine, <clears throat> and hopefully by the time you hear this episode, you'll be able to order yours. Yes, I think they put a, as a, as a test up right now. They they put they put five up online because the plan was to sell them in person at uh, at Jersey and then make them available online. So they're still trying to test out that marketplace thing. So. So CJ uh, uh, was the guinea pig for that. I did. I was. So far, so good. But it doesn't matter because by the time you hear this, it's been up for a week. Go ahead. Yeah. I keep getting confused when you say GP Jersey and thinking you're talking about a small island off the coast of France. No. Uh, no. What? <laughs> I guess that's, that would be Old Jersey. Is there? That a... is definitely Old Jersey. That is where Old Jersey is. Next, you're going to tell me there's a York somewhere. Or a Hampshire. <laughs> So weird. I actually came. That's where I come from. Or or in England, right? I mean, there's New England. I guess there's an old England somewhere. Or Mexico. Oh wow! Never even thought of that. <laughs> oh. 
or a West Smyrna. But you know, even old New York <laughs> Thanks, was Jess. West New Amsterdam. <laughs> old New Smyrna. <laughs> uh, yeah, Judges for Cherry, go support that. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Um, Constant, Constant Istanbul. Istanbul, not Constantinople. Uh, anyway, if you want to email us, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. Shocker, huh? I like the pause for like dramatic effect. Yeah, the pause, I'll let it out. Um, <laughs> all right, Kim, thank you so much for being on. I, I think this is a very beneficial episode. My pleasure. Uh, do, you, do you have any last things you want to plug? Like I mentioned, we'll, we'll put the link to the... Um, the regular REL blog in our show notes, um, but just anything else at all? Yeah, I mean, if that's in the show notes, then that's uh, that's the big ones, so. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, uh, I, I hope this was very educational to all of our listeners, and thank you once again for listening. My name is CJ Traber. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I am Brian Prillman, and I keep it, uh, well, that's nobody's business but the Turks. <laughs> Man, Jess. 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 At some what? point, I became closer to Brian than Jess, like, in age. And I don't know when that happened, but, um, like, every every Brian reference I get now, and Jess doesn't, and I don't, I don't, I don't even know it's what's so happening. It's so true.